In 2014, there was an article in USA Today entitled, Seven Little Things That Almost Everyone Steals. Seven Little Things That Almost Everyone Steals. Number one was pens. <laughs> pens. Now, it's kind of interesting. The title of the article was Seven Little Things That Almost Everyone Steals, and I say number one is pens, and every one of you were hiding the pen that you just got, and you're putting it back in your purse or in your pocket. You're laughing. You're giggling. Did you know that uh, I looked at two different business websites that have more than a bit of credi- credibility, and they said that stolen office supplies account for $3 billion of lost revenue. Billion dollars. Number one, a simple little thing that some people steal are pens. Number two, a spot in line. A spot in line. You know, most of the time we don't care. Okay, and the most common place I see this, if if you're thinking about no matter where a line might be, is when you're driving down the road and someone just kind of sticks the front end of their car out a little bit. And even though you're in a hurry, okay, one car is cool, but two or three or 84, no, right? We kind of, we You know, one is all right, but after the second or third car, we start to take offense, all right? Number one is pens. Number two is a spot in line. Number three, hotel amenities. Okay, I'm not talking about those cheesy little things of watered-down shampoo. Uh, Hotel.com did a survey, said that one-third of the survey respondents admitted to stealing linens, towels, sheets, blankets, stuff like that. Yeah. Parking spots. Who, just raise your hands, I can't see you because it's all silhouetted right now by these lines. Who will admit to seeing a parking spot two rows over and racing over to get it because you think the car on the other side of the lot also saw it and you're racing to get there and you swerve in? Anybody ever do that? Okay, I didn't either. All right. Parking spots, number four. Number five, books and magazines from various offices or or coffee shops, or things along those lines. Number six, lighters. And number seven, restaurant straws, napkins, and or other condiments. <laughs> Who has a ketchup packet from Chick-fil-A right now sitting inside their car door? All right. Who's got a bunch of straws in the glove compartment? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are the the common things that are stolen, all right? Consider the following accounts of your not-so-average theft. Two weeks ago, police in Georgia were looking for some crooks who made off with nearly $100,000 of ramen noodles. Somebody stole a long tractor trailer. That's a 53-foot-long trailer of $100,000, and when they figured it out, they thought it was going to be about 520,000 packs of noodles. Okay. 
1990, a new El Pollo Loco restaurant in Sherman Oaks, California was opening up and did some advertising with a 20-foot inflatable chicken. In less than two weeks, somebody stole the chicken. (laughs) Stole the chicken. And uh, the restaurant... (laughs) Oh, stop. (laughs) The restaurant offered a dozen chicken combo packs. If anybody would return the thing, I'm thinking, that... You must not really like that chicken that much, if that's really the deal. This one, I, when I read this, I had a hard time. After he had been fired, a preacher stole the pulpit and organ and the curtains from a church in Houston. When he was interviewed by the police, he acknowledged that he had stolen those items, but he left the piano because it was still being paid for. That's what he told them. You know, we've gone through um, the list of uh, the Ten Commandments now for the last few weeks, seven weeks, and, uh, and the, the whole point was that we not look at this list as some kind of semi-attainable lifestyle or uh, rules of behavior just so that we can kind of make sure that we're basically on God's good side, as long as we haven't broken all of them, we're hoping that God will give us the benefit of the doubt. When in reality, these are a gift from God. They help us not only to live a life that pleases Him, but really to live in harmony with one another. There are huge blessings that come from that. And the lists, uh, the list that you and I have it seems as if it's reg- just almost too simple and sometimes unattainable, but in reality, there are great depths to the things that God has said for you and I, these rules that he's told us to live by, and in living by them, the blessings that we have. It's so good to be able to not necessarily have to say, okay, this week we're all living by Tim's rules, okay? Uh, uh, or, or this week it's going to be Stan and Jolie, all right? Or, or no, 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 you tell you what, this month it'll just be Shane. No, because uh, we're, we're gonna, not only are we going to change our minds from time to time, but just because we said, we said the rules, we're going to rationalize our way out of them. We'll do that. And God says, I want you to remember what I've done for you. I want, to rem- I want you to remember how I have protected you and provided for you and, and done so much. And in, and in recognizing all of that, here are some ways that you can live now that you and I are in, an, in a relationship. Here are some ways that you can live and your life will be blessed and you'll get along with one another. And that really is what every one of us are trying to do anyway. Commandment number eight says, really simply, do not steal. Don't steal. And we've talked about, uh, really tried to focus on ways that you and I can practically live these commandments out. And while this is relatively, and the majority of it is really uh, commonsensically lived, there's so much more. We would consider it wrong if somebody we walked out and somebody's car was gone. But if we take uh, a small, you know, a half an inch high stack of napkins from Dunkin' Donuts, we don't think anything about that. 
There's a whole bunch of other things that you and I can take that sometimes we forget how some, we can take advantage of people and take time from others and from God. And so this morning, uh, the things that you and I have uh, and, the, and the understanding of where they've come from and what we do with them while we're here, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, the significance of things. When it's all said and done, owning property, whether it's something as simple as our clothes or our homes or any of the things that you might just uh, pull out a pad and list down, owning property is a form of power. It's one of the reasons why our founding fathers uh, wrote that in, the, 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 the privilege of owning property and the right to do that, because that wasn't always guaranteed in a bunch of other places. And the opportunity to own property is from God. It comes from Him. Now, you may say, oh, Shan, that's a little bit of a stretch. Uh, just a real quick survey. When you no longer are living, what things are you taking with you? You got your life from God. You got an opportunity to live the life from God. The health you have, the things you have, from A to Z, all come from Him. And so this delegated aspect of uh, authority comes from him. Uh, and, and it was ordained in the very beginning of Genesis chapter 1. Listen, he says, So God created mankind in his own image. God blessed them and said to them, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the birds of the sky and over every living creature. We got that from him. I, I made all this. This is a Shan's paraphrase version. I made all this and I'm going to give it to you. And I want you to have, I'm going to give you authority over it. And there's going to be some responsibility that comes alongside that authority, but it's going to be for you. All this stuff that we have given to us from God. Our ownership authority is delegated. So ownership, listen now, ownership is better understood as temporary management. The question that you and I could easily ask ourselves is, what am I going to do with what God has given me? We do that every day. God, what am I going to do with the day that you've given me? What am I going to do with this family that you've given me? What am I going to do with this strength and this job that you've given me? Uh, uh, any, anything. God, what am I going to do with what you've given me with the understanding that everything that I have, I am temporarily managing property, things, are given to us by God. So stealing is not only a crime against you if I steal from you, but it's also a crime against God because God gave you the thing that I just stole. So we may not necessarily think it's a big deal if we steal from each other, but if you and I, as we said in the very first commandment, we're not going to have any other gods except Him. We're going to worship Him and Him alone. Second commandment, we're going to demonstrate that commitment by living a life that is noticeably for him 
then taking things can't be a part of who we are. It just can't. Because that's not what God wants from us. Stealing, when it's all said and done, stealing in its essence is impatience with God. God, there's something that I want over there. And I want it now. I don't want to wait for it. And, I, and, and uh, because I'm oftentimes too busy, uh, I, I don't even think I'm going to ask you for it. I'm just going to go take it. We, we're impatient with God at best, and at worst, we don't trust Him. We don't trust that He has the power to do for us what we need and what we want. And so that is a simple definition of stealing. In its essence, is impatience with and lack of trust with God. If God is the giver of all things, then when someone steals, that person is saying, what I have from God is not enough. It's the opposite of the song we just sang. What I have from Him is not enough. I want more. I can't trust God to do it, so I'll just go ahead and take it. That's what that is. Now, it's interesting. Jesus is so stinking smart. He really is. Uh, He tells a story that you and I, uh, if you put that up, it's from Luke chapter 12. I want to read this to you. Some of you have probably uh, heard this before. And that helps us to understand this perspective of temporary management and and what an attitude of lack of trust and uh, 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 impatience with God is really all about. Someone in the crowd said to him, him being Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, this Man, whomever he is, has an argument with the way that the family and or a brother has, is dealing with things. And so he's going to try to subvert the law. There was, a, there was a very serious code that would be followed for inheritance. And he's going to subvert that by uh, taking advantage of the circumstances that he has with Jesus. He says, hey, I, I want you to, even though I know it's probably not the best way to do things, I want you to get involved in this personal matter so that I benefit. I don't want you to take something for me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to him, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Here it is. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Parentheses. Things. Life does not consist in a pile of things. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I've got no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Most important line in the entire story that Jesus tells is right here. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. It's it's an awkward story. It asks you and I to consider things that we can't possibly know. 
You and I can't possibly know what kind of favor or calamity will will come upon us uh, this afternoon, next month, next year. We we have no way of knowing this. We have no way of knowing whether our health will uh, continue until we breathe our last or we get a sudden phone call from the doctor and saying, I I need to talk to you about something because it's going to change the way that you live. We have no idea whether we're going to be living in this part of the country or another part of the country or another country. We have no idea whether we'll be living or not. We do know that God knows. We do know that He holds all things in His hands regarding you and me. And He gives you and me everything that we have. And so, the more we dwell on those truths, the more we come to realize that, wait a second, there's a level of accountability that maybe I need to understand. There's a, there's a, there's a, a, a way to live life and not worry about what you do or don't have, but in fact be content. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But be content not only with what God's given us, but be overwhelmingly joyful with all of it. And so there are just, just a couple of little things, guidelines I want to give you this morning to help us understand this perspective of healthy accountability, walking without guilt, without worry before God with regard to the things that you and I have. So remember the story. This guy... Uh, Uh, with the land that he has, has an abnormally uh, abundant crop. He doesn't have enough storage for all the grain that comes in, so he's going to build more barns, and he's got a plan of uh, storing it up there and selling what he needs when he needs it and just being fat, dumb, and happy for the rest of his life. Okay? And God shows up and says, how do you know how long you have left to live? You've stored all this stuff up for you. And now someone else is going to get it. Things have that kind of power. They have the power to sway us. Our judgment. Our loyalties. They can make families solid and they can separate them. They can start relationships and ruin them. Things. Stuff. What can things do? What can things do? Things can be a part of your identity, but they shouldn't completely and totally define you. I have really enjoyed um, watching, uh, I enjoy watching some autobiographies on TV, especially if they are um, television personalities or athletes, because invariably, uh, the good ones that I enjoy, if it's an hour-long program, they talk about 10 or 15 minutes of of the career that you and I might be aware of, and 45 or more minutes 
about how this person came to be and what their family is like and why they live the way they live and what the things are that are really, really important to them. That's where you find out that whether the jersey that the athlete wears is the only thing that defines them or not. Are you defined by your car? Are you defined by your house? Are you defined by your Savior? Those are some significant questions. Does Jesus know whom I am? Does Jesus know who I am or does my stuff know who I am? Things can define you, but it only ought to be a portion of your identity, not the totality of it. In Jesus' story, the rich man said, my crops, my barns, and so on. And as the story continues, it becomes clear that the rich man forgets where things come from. He forgets about it. Things not only can be a part of your identity, they can also uh, offer you security, but they can't make you completely secure. Ask anybody who works in the financial industry. Money can come and go in one day. One day. Ask anybody who lives just a little bit south of Boston. It only takes an interesting and rare combination of a storm, of the tides, and the setting of the moon. And it can change just how much or how little water ends up filling up your house. And it doesn't matter whether you have a barrier wall or not. Things can give you identity and they can give you security, but they can't really define who you are, or they shouldn't. And they also certainly can't completely protect you. Things can blind you. Things can persuade you to do foolish things, make poor decisions. They can encourage you to make great decisions and give you clarity of sight. But I would say to you that regardless of uh, the, the short list that I've come up with and just simple perspectives, reminding you, not teaching you things you don't know, but reminding you of things that you do, that the best way to separate how effective you are with things as opposed to... Here's the question. Do you own things or do things own you? See, that's the question. And the way to separate that answer best is to be, re, uh, be reminded that God has given all those things to you and I, and you, are, you and I are temporarily managing them. That's the perspective. What do things do? A whole bunch. What should you do with things? That's the next question. Number one, keep things in their appropriate place. I'm not talking about neatness. 
I'm talking about priority. I think I told you a while ago the story about uh, one of the guys at the church I was serving at in Florida. He owns uh, a couple of different car dealerships. We had three hurricanes uh, hit us in 2004, three hurricanes in six weeks. And after a while, the only thing you really heard were the sound of uh, uh, generators buzzing through all the neighborhoods. My friend had a generator in his garage. And uh, in a garage, he had a really nice Corvette that he really, that was his prized possession. He started to hear the generator kind of flicker as if it was running out of gas. So it was in the middle of the night. He was, he'd been sleeping. He was tired. And he decided he was going to try and fuel the generator while it was still running. And the fire started. On the other side of the garage, there was an extinguisher that could have easily been uh, obtained and used to get the fire out very, very quickly. But all my friend could think about was the Corvette. And so he ran to go get the car keys. Do you know what reminded him of what his priorities were? His wife. And it sounded something along the lines of, What are you doing? Keep things in their appropriate place. The question again is, do you own things or do they own you? Are you temporarily managing what God's given you or is what God's given you temporarily managing you? That's the challenge for any and all of us. And just because we learn it once in our life doesn't necessarily mean we're, not, we're done with that lesson. If you're in charge, you make the rules. If things are in charge, they make the rules. Like who goes out of the garage first. So keep things in their appropriate place. Um, It's the rules that you and I make that helps us to understand this principle of temporary ownership and, and accountability before God. The rich man forgot those rules. He forgot that it was God who gave him the land. It was God who provided the rain for the crops to grow. It was God who gave him that abundant crop. And what happened? He had all that extra and he forgot that God had provided Just like you and I do at times when a bumper crop comes in, we end up having more than we ever thought we'd ever have. And we forget that God gave it to us. I've seen uh, a number of you just in the last couple of weeks have put up some memes on Facebook. Uh, When you get what you prayed for, don't forget to say thank you to God. That's it. That's the kicker. So keep things in their appropriate place. Number two, use the things that God has given you to honor him. Use those things to honor him. Tell people what God's done for you. Do you, you I, I hope you do understand from a historical perspective where the Ten Commandments uh, fell uh, to the people of God is very, very significant because in giving them to the people, what God was saying is, Nobody thinks you're going to make it. For over 400 years, you've been living in Egypt, and nobody gives a a castaway group of slaves any opportunity to make good decisions. 
And so therefore, it's not going to be too long before everybody's just going to be laughing at you, mocking at you, thinking that you don't know how to live and you don't know how to treat each other and you don't know how to govern yourselves or the relationships that you have with each other. And so I'm giving you these rules. And when you live by these rules and you honor me and you honor one another, everybody from around the world is going to go, how did you do this? What, what help did you have? And that's when you say, well, God took care of us. God took care of me. Now, you may not find, have find yourselves uh, with a family history of 400 years of slavery, but have any of you ever been in this predicament that Leslie and I were in not too long ago? Uh, we went into the hospital with the two of us and came out of the hospital with four of us. Okay? And you and I, when we go through a, a circumstance like that, we suddenly are supposed to have this wonderful knowledge of how to be a dad and a mom. And I came to realize about three hours after we said goodbye to Kendall at college that I just finally figured out how to be a good dad and now I've got nobody to be a dad for. That's how it works. We think we know what's best and we have a pretty good idea, but sometimes we're just stumbling through and God didn't want us just to stumble through. He gave us help and he gives us these rules so that we don't have to stumble. We can actually thrive and be blessed because of this. That's the point. Give God the credit for doing the things he's done in our lives. Tell people what he's done. Let your life be an open file of evidence of the mercy and grace of God. Sometimes, on maybe a little bit of a disconcerting perspective, sometimes you might say, well, Shan, I'd, I'd like to be able to put things in their proper place and I'd like to be able to give the credit, but I just, there's not a lot that I have. Well, you'd probably change your mind on that if you actually started to think about and list down and, and maybe had some people that you trust take a look at your life and give you a really good list. But there's another perspective that James in the New Testament kind of brings up and he says, have you asked? His direct quote is, you do not have because you do not ask. Now sometimes, I can remember in my early walk with the Lord, the things that I asked for were really silly. It was representative much more of a 10-year-old than maybe a 25-year-old, really. But the longer I've walked with him, the more wisdom he has given to me because I asked for it, to be honest with you. And secondly, it helped, that wisdom helped me to say, God, I need help here. I, I, I'm doing everything I can. And, and This is your family. This is your church. This is your house. These are your cars. I need your help doing that. And I, you and I don't have enough time for me to list all the things that God has done. What do things do? They can either rule you or be ruled by you. What should you do with things? Keep them in their proper place and remember that God gave them to you and, and give him the credit when people ask how it is that you have what you have and you're able to do what you do. Jesus says, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. What happened to that man? 
He made all kinds of plans of being fat, dumb, and happy. And ended up being dead and alone. This is the kingdom contrast of two different views of the world. One without God, which says obtaining and storing things is the most important goal in life. You've seen the bumper sticker. He who dies with the most toys. In reality, you you and I know that's a lie. The bumper sticker really needs to read, he who dies with the most toys ends up not getting to decide where they go. That's what Jesus just taught. One without God, which says obtaining, storing things is the most important goal in life, and one with God that says the things we do, uh, things we do have are from God, and using them to increase the kingdom of God gives the greatest reward possible. So here's what I want you and I to pledge this morning. couple really quick questions before I give you this pledge. Is God good, yes or no? He's really good. He treats us a whole lot better than we deserve. Is God good? The answer is actually no. He's really good. And because we humbly acknowledge that, we as people who are saying we follow God, Submit that we can no longer keep the following things to ourselves. We can no longer keep our own time. You and I have no idea how many days God gives to us. And sometimes we forget just how short time is. And because He gives us the time that we have, we need to use the time that he gives us to make, a, make an eternal difference in other people's lives. We can no longer keep time for ourselves. We can no longer also keep credit for ourselves. The credit goes to him. Every bit of it. And the more we look around, the more we realize just how much God does for us. And because we know that, we need to give that credit and that honor to him. Just one other thing. We can't keep our time anymore. It belongs to God. We need to use it for him. We can't keep the credit anymore. The honor is his, so we need to tell that. And last thing, we can't keep our stories. We can't keep them to ourselves anymore. There is so much experience in this room, just this room alone, about who God is and what God's done and what prayers He's answered and what prayers He hasn't answered in protecting you and I from ourselves sometimes. And all of that gets uh, uh, packaged together, sometimes in this crazy box, sometimes in this amazing box. But whatever adjectives you want to give to it, it's God's box and He still is doing amazing things for you and me and people need to hear The truth about that. Because you know what? Next week, uh, the sermon is about uh, not lying. Do not lie. I'll give you a a kind of a commercial uh, for next week. I was reading uh, an online leadership article by uh, Kerry Newoff. And he said, you know what? This world 
has an overabundance of information. The last thing we need is more information. The first thing we need is meaning in life. More and more people could care less and less. More and more people want to know why your life matters. Why you make the choices that you do. And that's where your story can no longer be kept to yourself. I need to tell my friends. I need to tell my family. Look what God's done. We sent our youngest daughter home. Some of you met her last week. She spent uh, a little while uh, overseas in Indonesia. I'll tell just this one amazing story. She ended up, uh, her, her job, even though she was on a tourist visa, she was one of 25 on this island that was, their whole purpose all summer long was just to tell people about Jesus. Now, in a, in a country that is the most Muslim-dominated country in the world, that presents a few challenges for a whole bunch of different reasons. But the way that she would do this, she would just tell stories. Just tell stories. And, and, and uh, they weren't unfamiliar with who Jesus is. I can, don't have too much more time about that. But suffice it to say, they were aware of who he was. And so Kendall decides, she's in the back of a taxi taking a drive, and she decides she's going to start talking to this taxi driver about Jesus. And she starts telling stories, and then uh, she starts talking about Isa. That's who they call him, Isa. And she starts talking about uh, uh, Jesus and what he does. And, and the driver stops her and he says, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know about him. And my daughter's thinking, how could you, what? what? Yeah, uh, and she was surprised to find out that each Easter in Indonesia, they show a lot of the very common movies that you and I see at Easter time. Jesus of Nazareth and the greatest story ever told. And those kinds of movies come popping up. And the, and the driver said to her, I, I love this story, but every single time they start beating him, I turn it off because I just can't take the violence. I just don't like it. And it caught my daughter off guard. And she said, wait, wait, you, you've never seen the end of the movie? He said, no. Why would I want to stick around and watch the... And, and so my daughter picked up the story of, of Jesus being taken to the cross and being crucified. And then she said, and on the third day, God raised him up. The, ca- the taxi driver stops the cab, turns around and looks at my daughter and says, wait, he's not dead? My daughter got chills on her skin at the realization that someone was learning for the first time what God does for you and for me. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And that is either a part of your story or it could be a part of your story. If it's a part of your story, you need to tell somebody about that. If you want it to be a part of your story, then you need to let me tell you about that. And it'll change your life. Because we're no longer going to keep these things to ourselves. God, thank you so much for making these rules really simple. Really simple to apply to our lives and really simple to live in a way that pleases you. God, we don't want to just focus on how many pens we have in our office desk drawer. 
how many straws are in the glove compartment. We want to focus on what you have done for us and what you want to do for others and how you can use our life to make a difference in somebody else's. Thank you so much for loving us even when we're not lovable. Thank you so much for forgiving us of some really stupid things that you and I, that we have said and done. God, thank you for graciously encouraging us and blessing us and taking care of us. And because we now remember that that's a part of our story, God, help us to tell our story to somebody else. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.